podcast is brought to you by EJA Services, a moving company located out of the Utica, Rome area, but servicing all of Central New York and beyond. Let's face it, moving can be stressful. Relax and let the reliable movers take care of tasks for you. From antiques to electronics to home decor items, they have the experience and the equipment to ensure your items will arrive at their destination unblemished and on time. They can move everything from your apartment, condominium, townhouse, single-family home, or office with ease. Competitively priced movers in Utica, New York. Again, they service all of something New York beyond. Moving help, relocation services, office moves, complete packaging services, unpacking, loading services. You know what? Maybe you bought some new items for your office or your home. Shouldn't have to stress about that because they can deliver those things too. Contact their moving and delivery specialist to help you have the new furniture, art, piano, items delivered. Visit their office at 9772 River Road in Marcy, New York, or call them at 315-335-0516. That's 315-335-0516. Or go to their website, ejamoving.com, and tell them that Just Joe sent you. Me just jumping in here just to remind you, just to remind you that the Royal Auto Group and Jason Allen are a sponsor of this amazing podcast. Thank you, Jason. RoyalAutoGroup.com. That is RoyalAutoGroup.com. The Just Show podcast is brought to you by Advantage Hardwood Floors. And my good friend, Charlie, when it comes to hardwood floors, nobody better in the central New York area than him. He's been doing it his entire life. I mean, entire life. You've walked on floors that he's probably done. You've seen floors. You've seen basketball probably played on those floors. You just ripped up some carpet in your house, realized you got these beautiful hardwood floors underneath it. You want to make them look good? Call Charlie. Call Charlie at 315-463-0674 or at advantagehardwoodfloors at gmail.com. Welcome back. Your dreams will you take it out. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Just Joe Podcast, episode 46. 46. Closing it on episode 50. I feel like I'm going to have to do something special for episode 50, you know? Or, or I don't know. I'm horrible at planning that stuff out. Maybe I'll think about it. Who knows? Hope you guys have been enjoying season four. I'm hoping that their season four just continues. I hope there's not a little break in between, but who knows? Uh, this week, I have somebody but I'm in, that I've been trying to get on this podcast for quite some time now probably since the beginning of this podcast i wanted to get this this cat on um i originally discovered him in a band called sons of texas out of um of course texas the southern texas that is way 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 down deep in texas and uh i was blown away when a friend of mine um sent me some of their music and i was like god damn this this band kind of sounds like brand new sin or you know i mean nobody really sounds like brand new sin but it had that southern metal pantera you know texas two-step you know badassery to it and it just immediately became a fan um and then i don't even know how the two of us ended up hooking up to becoming buddies but we did uh i think it was the, the conduit of my one friend val stone cold val who um uh, connected us because I believe Jess was on his podcast, and then the two of us connected, and and here we are, you know, a couple of years later, and and uh, and and enjoying each other's friendship from time to time. He's also done a ton of other work. Uh, he's also been in uh, the latest incarnation of El Nino, and uh, right now is kind of doing his thing. So we're going to talk about his musical journey. We're going to talk about what maybe he's got going on. And you never know what goes on with the Just Joe podcast. 
we never know what the fuck we're going to discuss. So, ladies and gentlemen, episode 46, again, brought to you by EJA Moving Advantage Hardwood Floors and Jason Allen and the Royal Auto Group. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest, Jess DeHoyos. Dude, welcome. It's about time. Do You and I have been trying to get this podcast, I don't know, a couple of years. <laughs> it's a few, <laughs> few weeks, man. I'm, I'm finally glad that we nailed down, but I know what it's like to be a dad and know what it's like to... You know, to be a hustler, man, it's like, you know, you think you have all this time, but then again, at the end of the day, you're like, dude, I had zero hours today to do anything other than what I was supposed to do to breathe, you know? Yeah, man, it's it's, it's bad after we finally got to to get it together, and I appreciate you for having me, man. Oh, it's good of to course. talk to you on the phone and finally get this thing going. Uh, of course, man. You know, I was, I was saying in the intro to the podcast, I was like, man, how did, how did this all come about, man? And I remember... I hadn't heard of the band yet. I haven't heard of Sons of Texas. And a buddy of mine, Stone Cold Val, who's been a, a, a big fan of Brand New Sin since day one, I think you were on his podcast, on the Mule Cast, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah. And he messages me randomly, you know, like, yo, you got you to gotta check this out. You got to check this out. And he's like, dude, you got to hear this band. I'm like, all right. And so he sent me a couple links and. And I was like, holy shit. I'm like, who, who the fuck is this, man? It, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like Pantera. It sounds like a little bit like what we used to do. You know, it's like, not that they sounded like us, but I mean, in the same vein, you know, down and everything. I'm like, dude, this band is fucking badass. And I don't even know how it went from there and how we ended up connecting. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we had each other's phone number and we're shooting the shit and everything else. But it was like, it was so refreshing to hear, you know, just a straight up, fucking rock band you know like yeah you're metal but i mean at the end of the day you're just fucking hard rock you're a hard rock band you know yeah i think we're centered at hard rock but we we like to dabble with the elements you know we'll, we'll, there's even an unreleased blues song that we've uh we've written and we never recorded there's actually i think live footage from one of the earlier years and uh it's called cold cruel and content um, I mean, basically, I, I had a uh, blues riff that I put together, and then I mean, obviously, it's the the one four five, but it's done heavier, heavier guitars. It's got uh, you know licks. It's got you know d- just the elements that we like, and it's sung with with Mark. You know, his, he's got his bluesy swing on it. Uh, yeah, it's on YouTube, man. Look it up. It's called Cold, Cool, and Content. I think it was under. We were still Texas at the time. Because we used to be called Texas before we changed to Sons of Texas, but you I mean, were, legally, you were just called Texas. In the beginning, we were called just Texas. Yeah, <laughs> you, didn't, crazy? you didn't even think. Well, dude, do you think we can get Texas dot com <laughs> for the? No, no, and you know what? The, the the mentality was, I mean, Boston, Kansas. True, you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we were like, hey, why, why not? You know, the biggest you know, the biggest fucking baddest state in the fucking nation. I don't care what anybody else is. That's I, what agree. It is. <laughs> I, no, I agree, man. And I'll tell a couple of stuff, dude, I always love playing in Texas, man. I like it was the craziest shit I've ever had happen was always in Texas. So yeah. I, I and you know, the, the idea was to, to kind of tie in all the elements that uh, we, we brought to what we were doing. And it was all synonymous with the state and where we, where we're from and, you know, everything we're about. So it kind of just made sense to call us that. And I was like, it's kind of cool too, man. You know, we, you know, we can, you know, segue and say, Hey, you know, Boston, Kansas, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, no, man, it, it, it was cool. It was just, <clears throat> obviously we got a, a few uh, big wigs telling us, Hey, you know, it's not going to work. Uh, you got to change your name. And we went through a fucking just 
ugly <laughs> few wait few weeks of just names back and forth. I don't know how long it was, but we arrived at Sons of Texas finally, and it was just kind of like I don't know next of kin to yeah, to, yeah. The, to the forefathers from Texas. You know, Pantera, ZZ Top, Stevie Ray. There's so many. There's so many implications with that that name. You know, what yeah, are, and that was the idea behind it, man. Yeah. It was just. There's, there's definitely, there's definitely that lineage because I mean, I, I don't know. I think, I think my first, I mean, the first time I really was like, holy fuck, I'm in Texas. We played in Houston at a place called the Engine Room. We're on tour with Chimera and Thirty Six Crazy Fist. Oh shit! That's right, awesome. right, and uh, we're we got done with the show and we're out at the bar because we had drank our rider up. So it was always like, all right, let's go out to the bar see if anyone recognizes us and buys us some drinks. You know, <laughs> so, these, so these cats come up, they're like, you guys are badass. You know, like, let's buy you some drinks, and they buy them. Like, we'll do Jägermeister. You know, so they pour Jägermeister, but they come over with these. Sh- they weren't shot glasses; they were rocks glasses, full. Like, you know, yep. three fucking shots. I'm like, I, 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 I thought we we're doing shots. He goes. These are shots. These are shots. You're, you're fucking. Texas, you're in Texas, son. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. And we're like, oh that's boy, right. it's gonna get interesting. Yeah, but yeah, that's that was like my introduction. Like, oh boy, man, Texas is always gonna be an interesting fucking interesting. I could probably write a book about the dates we played in Texas, but but getting back, but yeah, but but you guys, are you guys, am I am I understanding? You, is it McAllen, Texas, Corpus Christi area? Are you guys down there? Yeah. Okay. No, Corpus is two hours north of us. Oh, we that's are right. in McAllen, Texas. Yeah, so we're like 13 miles from the southern border. Yeah, we played McAllen once with Kitty and uh, Sworn. La Vida Real, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, man, we're way to fuck down here. And we're like, yep. I didn't realize, like, once you got that far in Texas, like, you see <laughs> Texas and it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of deserty looking and flat. And then you all of a sudden get to this part of Texas, you're like, it's fucking tropical down here. There's orange groves everywhere. Like, what the? F- where the fuck are we? They're like, man, you are in, you are in Mexico. Okay, basically, you are in Mexico. But yeah, it was yeah, it was, definitely what, the roots from Mexico reach all the way to Texas, man. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and we, um, I remember the one thing about that. That venue was huge. It was freaking packed, and I remember signing shoes. We signed shoes. <laughs> We're like, what Hell the yeah, fuck? Dude, we, awesome, man. We're like, why are we signing shoes? Like everyone's coming up and buying merch and they're like, can you sign our shoes? And we're like, what the, f- why are we signing shoes? And the other bands are like, that, that was a thing for yeah, a while. I don't that, know. That, like, either, but. Yeah. They were like, that's a thing down here, man. And every time we play down here, the ba- other bands that have been there, they're like, this is, this is the thing that happens in McAllen. So, so how do a lot of Chuck Taylors were signed. Yeah. Like how the fuck do you get noticed in McAllen, Texas? You know, like how do how do you how do you get noticed? How do you get on the the radar to the point where you guys were talking to you know record labels and management and everything else? Because that's not somewhere we're like we should see what's going on in the scene in McAllen, you know, for some talent. So how I mean, you just make a stink so big that eventually somebody's going to take a whiff and say, <laughs> "What the fuck is that?" True. Plus the internet, you know? the internet helps a lot. I mean, if this was in 1980, it would have been. A you know, a lot story. of people think that. A lot of people think that just because you're on the internet, you like, you know, you put, you pump thousands of dollars behind ads and so on and so forth. Yes, that helps, you know, for YouTube, for uh, TikTok famous, for Instagram famous, that whole thing. But nothing, nothing, nothing in the world is going to outdo the road work. Yeah. You have to fucking relentlessly tour. You have to, I don't care how big you are. I mean, shit, even, uh, the Foo Fighters had to go through all that. And that's because Dave came from Nirvana. You know, even when he started his band, he had to tour relentlessly for years on end 
yeah. until finally it was like, oh wait, there's a drummer from Nirvana fronting this band. Like it's the same shit to this day. I don't care if the internet's here. If it's not, no matter what, nothing is going to outdo being on the road, shaking hands, uh, making eye contact and, and doing the, the legwork, man. Nothing else is going to beat that. Dude, I can't, I can't agree with you more, man. It's a, I tell everybody as a band, like, yeah, you, what if you had a viral video? Like your first video just happened to like, you put it out and all of a sudden you get a couple million views. Um, but yeah, you haven't even like played a show or done anything like that. And then you get thrown into the wolves and then you're, you're, yeah. you, you can't do anything because you're not seasoned. Like, I don't think people understand, like you got to put in, it's the 10,000 hour principle and it's, it's, that's it. And you know, here's a little bit of pudding to prove that point there. Uh, we were on the road with a, a few times more than, more than once we were on the road with, we were obviously headlining but there was acts that were before us, you know, that were on the package that were, you know, fucking, I don't know, a million likes on Facebook, uh, uh, 6 million views on YouTube, uh, X amount of likes on, you know, just, they had significantly bigger numbers than we did. And still it was, you, you know, it was like, who the fuck is this band? Nobody ever heard of them. It's like, cause you can buy, you can buy all that shit. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And even on the, on the other side of it too, where we were the opening act and we obviously didn't have as much as the headlining act and still, you know, you know, we had a better turnout or, you know, a better response or whatever. And it's like, it, it just goes to show you, man, it doesn't matter what you pay for online. It's, it's what you, what you work for in, in real time. So was, was there a moment or one thing that kind of like took it to the point where like, all right, someone, someone just contacted us and now we got to like, you know, we got these meetings with these, these labels. Like what, what, what was that? Was there a moment or a series of moments that all happened to get to, to like, you know, I mean, what were you guys razor and tie? Was that the label? that? Yeah. You to? Okay. So you, you're, you're going way back at the beginning. You want to talk about how we got even to the fucking on, on the radar. Yeah. With the yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you even get to the radar being from where you are, man? It's not easy. So, in the beginning we would obviously, you know, we, we were from McAllen, but we, a lot of people think, you know, how'd you get, like you asked me earlier, how'd you get noticed in McCown? We didn't get noticed in McCown. We toured. <laughs> we, right. we went and we played the bigger cities surrounding us first, which were San Antonio, Corpus, Austin, you know, Houston and that. And, uh, there's a big festival in Austin called South by Southwest. Yep. I'm going so there. I go, I go there almost every year. I'm going there this year. I'll be down there hanging out. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So we did that one two years in a row. And I don't know if it was, I think the second year, but we played where um, we were playing this venue that had a large window that didn't have any glass. And uh, I guess like you can open it. So the crowd walking on the street can hear the bands or what have you. Um, we were playing a venue and some guy walks in and I like, this is what he told us. His name is Shane Wells. He used to be the A&R for uh, Red Bull records. And he walks in and he checked us out or whatever, spoke to somebody, asked for a disc. And after the set, um, he walked up to us and we spoke to him, you know, hung out with him. Whatever. He's like, yeah, man, I want to see if I can get you guys on Red Bull records. And then, uh, this and that, whatever. So, um, we went back, I guess that was the first year. We went back the second year and there was a bit of a lineup change because things didn't work out with the previous bass player and, and drummer. And we played the South by Southwest the second year he came back and he was, and we asked him, we're like, Hey, so what's up with Red Bull? Do they dig what they hear? This and that, whatever. He's like, they like it. They're just, it's not what we're not, what the brand is about. I guess, you know what I'm saying? Like they have, um, what's that band? 
biggest band on, on Red Bull right now, or at the time. Oh, at the time was it, um, <clears throat> oh man, they were from England, right? I think so. Yeah. He- he- Heaven's Basement or something like that. Yeah. No, I, it's another one. They, man, anyway, so we didn't sound, I guess, to their liking. And once, once we heard that band that, that was on that, we we're like, oh, I get it. You know, they, they're after a different type of music or what have you. So uh, it was cool. You know, he passed on the CD, whatever, to, to, to other people. And apparently, I think it was Meredith Chin was her name, was the head of A&R at Red Bull Records, sat down and had, um, I guess, lunch or dinner or whatever with uh, some guy named Eric German, who ended up being our attorney. Um, he She had lunch with him, gave him the diss, said, hey, maybe you could do something with this. And then, I don't know, something like 11 p.m. my time, I'm sitting in my, you know, in my bed, laying down with my wife, where watching movies or what have you. And I get this call and says Los Angeles. And I'm like, who the fuck would be calling right now from Los Angeles? Is it a bill collector? Now, like I'm the kind of person that will answer the phone. You know, I, you never know. It could be an emergency, whatever. So, uh, sure enough, I pick it up and they're like, Hey, I'm looking for somebody from the band, Texas. And I'm like, who's this? And they're like, Oh, my name's Eric German. This and that, whatever. And we had a conversation, you know, and he's, you know, as this guy's talking to us, my wife is like Googling him, looking up credentials or whatever. <laughs> And, uh, we're like, man, this guy's a real fucking deal. So on and so forth. And, uh, you know, we had that conversation and by the end of the phone call, he said, I'm going to get you a fucking record deal. And we hung up and I said, fuck, like it just slapped me in the face. I had to sit back and kind of like, is this really, did this shit really happen? Like I was about to go to bed. Like what happened? What just happened right now? And, uh, you know, sure enough, we spoke for a couple of weeks or whatever. And he's on the, he calls me one day on the phone and he's like, Hey, uh, I got a friend here in the office. His name is Mike Gitter. He said he likes your music. And you hear Mike Gitter in the yeah. background saying, hey, I love your stuff, whatever. This and this and that. Mike, Mike Gitter is uh, the legendary A&R guy. I mean, Roadrunner. Yeah, and May, I was mainly about to say, my wife Googled yeah. him too. My wife Googled him too, looking up his credentials, and my jaw hit the floor. I said, shit, dude. Yeah, this, that is, dude is, this is the guy that fucking signed all these bands or whatever. Yeah. So he flew out about two weeks later, checked us out in Houston, and I mean, it was eight months, I think, after we did the lineup change with uh, Nick and Mike and eight months later we were sitting in Houston I forget the name of the damn club but it was like a little bar that looked like a house and oh, we're sitting outside I, I, I know the Fitzgerald it was just called Fitz was it Fitzgerald's it might be Fitzgerald's I, yeah, actually dude I know that place we played there I know exactly go but go ahead dude yeah. yeah so we're sitting outside and you know Mike Gear says uh, he he really dug what we did. You know, we exceeded expectation this and that because he'd only heard the music, obviously. But we performed, and he was like, "I'm I'm gonna fly back, talk to my people, and we'll have an offer for you in a couple of weeks." So we're all just sitting there, like, "Holy shit!" You know, like, you know, it, it, we're all like living in the moment, excited. You know, this and that, whatever. And you know, uh, a couple of months later, I think it was because they had to do the back and forth and all that. We officially signed with the Razor and Time. And that's the way that went down. It's crazy, man. Mike fucking get her. Yeah, I mean, dude, Mike was interested in, before I joined Brand New Sin, they were another band called Gabalo, and they had a ton of label interest, which is how Brand New Sin got signed. But Mike was interested in that band at the time. So, and I mean, he was at Roadrunner. I mean, again, you know, I mean, that dude, it's yeah. he's been in the business a long time and has signed some fucking huge acts. So... Yeah. I think he signed Nino too, and I was I was with Il Nino for like two years, and yeah. you know, there was a common common ground there, and we spoke about that often. I mean, the dudes just signed 
fucking everybody. Kill switch. I think he brought uh, Megadeth to Roadrunner, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Just everybody. Everybody. Oh, you, man. You're, like, you, you're in good hands, man. And he's... I had conversations with the first time we played South by Southwest in 2002, he stopped by. We had already been signed, but we, you know, we're still looking for agents. We're still looking for a bunch of pieces to the puzzle, man. And he had stopped by and, and, uh, he's, he's a tough note. Like he'll tell you like it is, man. And I was like, who the fuck is that? Guy? <laughs> like, who the fuck was that fucking guy? You know, to my guys. Cause I was so green at the time. They're like, dude, that's some fucking Mike Gitter. I'm like, he's, he was a dick. And they're like, dude, that's just the way he talks. You know, really? He, he seemed nice as shit to us. Uh, but I, you know, dude, I was young. I was cocky. You know, I thought we were the baddest man <laughs> on, the, on the planet. And, you know, so, I, you know, I probably had a couple beers in me and this guy was just probably telling it like it is and just being like, hey, I got to go somewhere else. And it seemed like, 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 why isn't he, why isn't he kissing our ass like everybody else? You know, so that was like, that was probably what it was, you know, in my mind. If I go back with 47 year old Joe and we go back to like 25 year old Joe, it's a big difference, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, my getter's great. Every time I see him, uh, I, I haven't seen him in a couple of years but I, I ran into him whenever we played um the whiskey in la and um he he came out and i was like man every time i see him i'm like dude thanks for giving us a chance it's yeah. like oh you bet this and that whatever i'm grateful eternally to him and eric turner man they were both great awesome people it's great and then and then you ended up hooking up was with larry mazer you know which is who's a fucking legendary I mean, he's the guy that managed Kiss when they took their fucking makeup off. You know, they're like, there's always, yeah, that, there's always the joke that Larry was the guy that talked them into taking their fucking makeup off. <laughs> there was, it was always, <laughs> you that. know, with the way Larry Mazur is, I wouldn't doubt it, man. That dude <laughs> is a fucking maniac. He'll fucking get shit done for you. He's, he's a great guy to have behind you. Just awesome dude. Hilarious. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but, uh, I, I call him every once in a while on his birthday or you see how he's doing in that. And uh, dude's, dude's funny, man. Yeah. Great dude. I mean, so, I mean, you guys came out of the gate with, you know, an A&R guy and, and, you know, then having Larry Mazur as a manager. I mean, you guys are really set up for like, you like you got the best of the best that you could possibly get. And for a rock man in the climate of the two thousands, the mid to late two thousands, man, it's like, that's almost unheard of, you know, to have those people want to come around. So it says something about what you guys had done, you know? Yeah. And with everybody in the team, man, it was Josh Wilbur producing. We had Larry Mazer on management. A&R was Mike Gitter. Our attorney was uh, Eric German, you know, and the guy who, who'd been on the litigating team that took down Napster such and such. And like that guy's got uh, a lot of bands that he manages. I think he's still doing asking Alexandria. He does five finger, if I'm not mistaken. The dude, the dude is an attorney for a lot of great bands, man. It's just like yeah. the team we had was incredible. We should have been set up for success. I just, I don't know what happened. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's that's the where turn it leads. Of the century or, I mean, the turn of the, the the industry and who knows? Yeah, I mean, you're also in a climate where, like, you know, you know, we kind of. I mean, we got into the business when when the business was literally just falling the fucking part, you know, the old ways to the new ways. So you, but you guys can still came in, but like rock music is tough and man, it's tough. It's like, how do you break, how do you break a hard rock band? How do you do that? You know, but you guys had everybody in place. So it's like, okay, you know, I mean, I mean, now looking back on it, I mean, you guys had everything there and you had all the pieces in place, but like, 
was there anything like, fuck you, like, I wish I did that a little bit differently, or I wish I did that a little bit differently, or it was just like, hey, man, this is the way the industry goes. Sometimes you roll the dice and it works, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, man, I don't know. I think <laughs> uh, I, I don't have the exact formula to that disaster, but I don't know exactly. I feel like it was a combination of things, but again, I think genuinely it was just that, you know, it's the industry was changing. Nobody buys records anymore. And, you know, even during the second record, when we did the first record, we got, you know, big push. Um, there was ads everywhere. We went to Japan. We went to Europe, UK. We did all that shit twice. When the record came out, the second one, um, maybe people don't know about this, but when Razor and Tire released or was about to release our second record, they were in transition because they were being bought out by Concord. So they dropped, I don't know, fucking like 90% of their bands or something. And we were one of them because obviously we're new. Excuse, excuse me. Um, so we got dropped and I don't know if that's why, but it seems like it makes sense, but the record didn't get as much backing as the first record. And I assume it has to do with that. You know what I'm saying? Cause the company's being merged or bought out or what have you. And uh, who knows, man, who knows, who knows? And like we had everything set up. We had the right team. Um, I mean, today, I, I don't know if being on a label is, is uh, how you say it, is an indication of success no. or not. But to this day, we still go out and, and whenever we play shows, we still get people turn out. We see uh, faded shirts. We see reoccurring faces. We see people that drive a few hours to come see us. And, you know, the shows are lucrative. They're, you know, they do well obviously better in some parts than others, but I mean, we were still doing fantastic, you know, uh, before this damn pandemic hit, but, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know if being unlabeled is, is constitutes as, as, uh, something that you can call success. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not what it was like us growing up, man. You know, we always looked at these bands like, Oh my God, you got signed and they got these, you know, big, Signing bonuses, you know, bonuses, and they had these huge, you know, huge budgets and all that stuff. Like those days were gone, you know. So, like, I mean, I think labels have their purpose now, but I really think it comes down, and that's what I tell all anybody who's like, "Hey, man, I'm trying to, you know, give them advice or give them my two cents on the business." Like, man, do it all on your, do as much as you can on your own. Make the stink on your fucking own. Build everything on your own. Make sure everybody in the band is somewhat business savvy or has some kind of role in the business part of the band. And, and then eventually you'll get to a point where a label makes sense. And it's not like you're getting, you're going to the label, be like, Hey, we need all this money. Cause they were basically loan sharks back in the day. Like, yeah, we're going to give you a million bucks, but like, that's not free money. You got to pay us back, you know? Of course. You know, yeah. well, so, there's, two things, there's two things to that. that I would say one, there's a, there's an aspect of being in an artist that nobody really talks about that doesn't happen anymore where labels used to do it. And that's artist development. Like labels yes. don't do that shit anymore. No, there they, is no more artist development. Like you have to develop on your own. And yeah, the second thing that time. I would say is that in this day in the industry, it's like you have to be so damn good at what you're doing and you have to be so, uh, you have to meet a certain criteria before a label is even interested in you. And by that time, 
it doesn't even make sense to have a label anymore because you're already doing this shit by yourself. <laughs> it's like, what, what do I, what do we need you for? Like what, what do we need? Yeah. It makes sense in like certain genres of music. Like if you're like, if you're in super poppy type of music or maybe EDM or stuff like that. Yeah, that works yeah. because those people have enormous of power to be able to put you in playlists, you know, on Spotify or Apple music and things like that. That is yeah. a giant part of that. Those genres of music. Yes, you would need it. But for like, you know, just a, fucking blue collar working hard ass rock band or even a you know uh, a jam band or you know a garage band man it's like really like man if you can figure out a way to do it on your own and you find this pocket even if you don't even tour the country even if you find this pocket of like hey man we do well in these like six states you can make a fucking living doing that and then play some festivals Absolutely. here and there and stuff like that. Or if you happen to break in Europe and you're like, well, fuck, we just go over and do the festival season and then we come home, you know? So it's like, I, I you know, it is, it is crazy in foreign countries, but we, we did significantly better in oh, yeah. terms of return and turnout and, and, you know, uh, audience growth and that kind of thing. When we did Europe, UK, the first time we got a fucking incredible response. Every time we went out, people were like, who is this band? This yeah. and that, whatever. And uh, we went back the second time and it was just nutty. Yeah. When we went to Japan the first time, it was like Larry Mazur was like, you're going to be like, people are going to be hounding you. They're going to know where you are. This and that. It's going to be like, you know, not obviously not to the extent of the Beatles, but you're going to have that, that similar attention where people are going to want autographs are going to, I'm like, man, nobody fucking knows about five Mexican dudes from the Valley. Nobody's going to give a fuck. And we showed up and there was people in the fucking lobby. There was a line of motherfuckers waiting to get autographs and photos. I'm like, how, how the fuck? They knew I had kids. They knew that, uh, you know, one of them was a girl and this and that. And my wife, Dude, how the fuck? It's almost scary. No, it's almost <laughs> like, scary. But my, my 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 one guitar player, Brandon Sim, was in Earth Crisis. You know, one of the biggest. Yeah. And he was in Earth Crisis for a number of years. And he's like, man, the first time we we went to Japan, I'm like, what? And he's like, dude. And he tell the same stories. And he's like, I'm like, what the fuck? And that was like pre-internet. And there were people yep. knowing all that shit. I'm like, dude, we never made it to Japan, but he would tell those stories, man. And he's like, dude, you, you know, he goes, if we ever make it to Japan, he goes, you got to be careful. I'm like, why? He's like, man, these fucking women. And it's like, he like, they'll be throwing them at you. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to discuss any of the other details he talked about. Cause you know, I, I, those things stay with us, but I mean, but yeah, it, it, we had the same similar experience when we went to the UK, the first time we went to the UK and we were just like the opening band. I'm like, no one knows who we are. And then all of a sudden we were like outselling the headliner with merchandise. And that was the first time we came home from a tour where all of us were like, dude, we just made some like real money. Like, and, and then immediately yep. we came back and the, all the, all the promoters were like, when can we get this band back? We're like, well, with who they're like yourself, let's bring you back for a headlining tour. I'm like, what the yep. fuck? We just, just played and they want us to come back and do a headlining tour. It's like bands like uh, us, do so much better in other parts of the world. So if you could develop those things, the United States for the landscape for a hard rock band, it's like, it's cool, but it's a fucking grind here where you can, you can make money like literally out of the gate in some of those markets. Absolutely, man. And the way we even got to Japan, you know, and like the first year of touring was somebody bootlegged our shit and they took it to, I don't know if it was tower records or what. And, and they reached out to our label and they were like, Hey, we've sold a lot of records from this band. What can we do to get them? I'm like, what? 
and they reached out to us about that. And then we, and we ended up, you know, going over there. Like I said, we played loud park 2016. We were the first band of like, I don't know, 30 bands on the bill in the Saitama super arena. And we sold every piece of merch that we had. We were, we were like, first at like 9, 10 a.m. their time. And there was 20,000 people in the stands. And I'm like, dude, like having anxiety, like freaking out. I was like, dude, this is a big jump from (laughs) everything we've we've done thus far. And, you know, it it was still to this day, one of the highlights of of everything we've gotten to do. And it was just, I mean, Japan is incredible. Even if you don't go to play, you should definitely get get out there and visit. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody that hasn't been out there. Great. That's amazing. I mean, but you know, it's it's those things. Do you feel okay? Like we'll get back. Like it didn't break here in the states for you, but do you feel like if you maybe pushed a little bit harder in some of those other markets? And I know it's really expensive to get you know a band over there and the 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 you know getting visas and work visas and the whole nine to travel around those countries yeah. would make a huge difference. I mean, I mean, dude, we were on Central Media Records and that that fucking label like is based out of Germany, but yeah, had kept denying us every time we had these op- huge opportunities to go to fucking Europe. They're like, no, it doesn't make sense right now. I go, yeah, but you're gonna send fucking some band from Slovenia, some death metal band into the states and fucking spend all this money on them here. You know, but you won't bring us to yeah. fucking. It, it, it was a. I I think things would have been slightly different if we had been able to really work those markets a lot more. You know, absolutely. I mean, uh, have you ever heard of a band called Impelitary? Yeah, Chris Impelitary. I mean, if you were to talk to people down here in in the United States, hey, have you heard of Impelitary? They'd probably be like, "Who the hell is that?" And you, but you go across the seas, and it's like the Beatles, like these there's markets where people like they don't even bother touring in the States because they know the bullshit that goes into it and they cross the pond and they're these mega stars. And it's like, man, like because across seas, there's still prominent record sales. There's uh, enthusiasm. There's, you know what I'm saying? Like not that there isn't here, but there's definitely a decline in how music is consumed. No, it's and, it, the, the fans, <clears throat> the way that people look at music over there. And, and I don't say just music, but I'm saying like when you become a fan of a band in the other parts of the world, and I really hate to bash the people in the United States because I love them. It's our fucking country, you know, but like of course. when, when it comes to the love of music and being able to stand behind your band and be passionate about the band and like supporting the band, <laughs> We suck at it here. We really we do, fucking we do. suck at it, you know, because over there they become a fan and they're a fucking fan for life, you know, because we have a band that's just they're from just south of Syracuse, a little city south of here from 30 minutes south of Syracuse called Manowar. OK, now Manowar in the States, they've never played the States, but they go over to Europe and they'll play 60,000 seat fucking they'll headline huge festivals. yeah they're on all the damn european summer festivals and shit over there dude they are legends over there but they come here and they'll walk down the street and no one knows who the fuck they are we'll play auburn and like one couple of cats will come out you know because i know they're kids and stuff like that but <laughs> like they couldn't they play and when they do play here they'll play like five shows and that's it and then they're like yeah we won't play the states for another fucking 15 years it's not worth our fucking <laughs> it's not worth our fucking time that's Same the way as- it is man i don't understand it i mean like you said that uh the hurdle, the biggest hurdle, I think, is getting over there. Yeah. Like you said, the visas, the the flights, um, you know, all the all the small crazy shit. Yeah, that, gear that you get there. Once you're there, it's yeah. all downhill. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then you're just like making sure that all that shit's in place because here you drive through states. You know, you're like, hey, I'm driving through Carolina to Pennsylvania. 
Um, but over there, you drive, you, like here, you drive through four states. There, in the same distance, you drive through four fucking countries. So it's like, you know, you got to wake yeah. up. You're like, shit, we got to go through a border crossing. We got to go through, you know, all this stuff. So there's there's a lot of obstacles. And sometimes they get, you get in some hairy situations. I mean, we never Not did. to mention the currency exchange and taxes <laughs> from country to country. And, you know, sometimes you got to bribe this person or that person to leave you the fuck alone. And it's like, yeah. Jesus, man. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 those moments you're like, okay, man, it's a little bit easier in the states to do something like this. So I mean, there's 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 you know there's there's goods and bads to everything. But for for hard rock bands, you know, or those especially metal bands, power metal bands, you know, they they're like, man, why why bother going to the states? And if they do, they'll come here, they'll play five shows, they fly to each show, they get massive amount of, they'll just make sure they play markets that they sell out, and then they go back. That's it, you know? That's it. Just a reminder, the Just Joe podcast is brought to you by EJA Moving Services. Located out of Utica, Rome area, they helped move me a couple years ago. They were fantastic. Check them out, ejamoving.com at 315-335-0516. The Just Joe podcast is brought to you by the Royal Auto Group and Salesman Supreme, Jason Allen. He knows how to make a deal. Trust me, he's a good buddy of mine. I've seen him do it. You guys looking for something new, something pre-owned, something new to you? Take the short drive down 81 to Cortland, New York, to the Royal Auto Group. They have four different franchises there. They have Chevy, they have Buick, they have Nissan, they have Subaru, and they have many lenders for any credit situation. Their service is open for all your vehicle needs, as well as the -the state-of-the-art body shop. So stop down and see Jason today, theroyalautogroup.com, or find Jason on Facebook and tell him that Just Joe sent you, the Royal Auto Group, home of the no-hassle, razzle-dazzle, $400 referral fee. This is just a reminder that the Just Joe podcast is brought to you by Advantage Hardwood Floors Incorporated, 315-463-0674 for all your hardwood floor needs. There is one band that managed to do the opposite of that, like where they show up and they fucking just massive, like I'm talking about massive shows. It was a production for this band. You've heard of a band called Romstein? Oh, fuck yeah. Dude, these guys, they're like, I think they're German based. Yes. They and are. they come over here and it's like arena tours, like big arenas, massive production with, with pyro and, and, all kinds of shit everywhere. And I'm like, man, I, I got to see these guys before, you've got, before they call it quits or whatever. You've got to see them, man. Like I've seen them live and it was their very, no first, way. Yeah. I saw them on their very first American <laughs> t- on their very first American tour, which was like, it was right when Duhast like hit and they were on, they were on the, they were on the very first family values tour with corn, limp biscuit, incubus, um, I think that was the that's line. right, and they were they were on, and and a bunch of friends of ours, like we just took a limo and went to Rochester, New York, which is about a 90, 90 minute drive from Syracuse, and we got up there, and then they're like, even then they didn't have the, I mean, they had this amazing production, and they were not, they were a support act, and they came on. I'm like, what the? F-? I have no idea what the fuck they're saying, all right, but. Yeah. Holy shit. You don't need to know what they're saying. This shit's yeah. great. <laughs> I'm like, this is the, what they were doing on this, you know, as with backline ship behind them. They were crushing it. And I'm like, man, I got to go back. I got to see them in an arena setting. There's a video on YouTube where you watch one of the arenas, like in Germany, get set up for one of their shows. It was like a five day setup. It's like an aerial view. You see all these trucks yeah. coming in. You see them putting the pyros on the literally the rim of the top of the fucking stadium. I'm like, dude. I gotta see this, you know, but yeah, dude, yeah, you are, you are absolutely right with that band. That band is like, 
they're in a, they're, they're in a, a league of their own. Like every once in a while, there's these outlying bands, and that definitely being a band, it's like wow. You know, yeah, I think the the bigger bands in the United States that headline all the festivals, I think, open up for Ron Stein when they come down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were here not too long ago. I think it was maybe like four or five years ago they had toured the states and they did it. They were supposed to come back, and I think it got everything. You know, the pandemic hit. I think they were supposed to come. No, back. Of course, and I, I I can't remember, but I was like, all right, this is that's one thing that's come out of this pandemic as a fan, like. I'm trying to go to as many shows as possible now. Like before I always went to shows, but like now I'm like, you know what, man, I, I got, I got a deeper appreciation, even deeper than I had before to like, I got to go see bands because yeah, there's much more value in it because of all the loss. Yeah. You know? Because and that, and you never know when someone might die, <laughs> you know, like I was exactly, like, I, yeah. I, I didn't go see Tom Petty. Like I sold my tickets one time. I'm like, I got a gig. I'll catch him next time around. And then he died. And I'm like, well, I guess I didn't get to fucking see Tom Petty. You don't know. You wake up tomorrow and, and, and they're gone, man. And I'm like, man, I don't, I don't want to do that and miss the opportunity to see these bands. So, you know, when you're saying that it, it brings to mind, uh, you know, whenever you post, Oh, we're going on tour, check it out. We're playing this area, that area, whatever. And they're like, oh, can you come back to this area? I missed you guys last time. And it's like, well, I mean, that's a fucking new problem, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm we, sorry. Like, it's like, it's, I'm not like, you know, I'm not trying to be a dick or no, anything but, like that. No, you're just, not. We, we've been through the motherfucker, you know, what, what else do you want us to like, do? What like, else? Obviously, there's circumstances where it's out of your control. But, <laughs> you know, and, and there, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, like we, we, we post Texas dates and we're from Texas and people are like, Oh, you're not playing here and you're from Sons of Texas. I mean, you're called Sons of Texas or like if we play in fucking, I don't know, Iowa or something, they're like, you're from Texas and you don't have any Texas dates. It's like, man, it's it's not the last tour. It's not that we hate you guys or that we don't want to tour here. It's just, those are, that's where the offers came in. You right, know, that's right. The, or like, yeah, we'd love to come to your market, but like, you're going to be the only dude that shows up. Like, like, like we have to make money, like, or you travel, like, we'll, we'll, and if you show up, dude, we'll, we'll make it worth your while. Like, we'll give you a great show. We'll hang out with you at the merch, whatever, you know, like, let's, let's yeah. do it. But yeah, but dude, you, dude there's never going to be, you know, you're never going to be able to satisfy everybody. Everyone's going to have a bitch about something, you know, they're like, that's it, man. And like, even if you're in route, like for example, from, I don't know, from McAllen to Austin, they're like, Hey, make a stop in Corpus. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's easy as, you know, driving to Corpus, but there's a lot more that goes into it than just, (laughs) Oh, we want to play in Corpus, you know, since we're going up to Austin, there's a big difference, you know, and I'm not saying that that's happened there before, but, that's a small example of what actually happened where people, you know, in other States are like, Oh, well you're in route. Why don't you stop here? Or if you were a town over, why'd you play there instead of here? It's like, man, there's so much fucking red tape and <laughs> right. it just, it's, it's crazy, man. But call, call, you know what? Call, I do appreciate anybody agent. that comes out. No, I do. That's too. it. I do That's too. it. Call my agent, man. Let's make this work, man. There's a lot of people involved in this fucking thing. We can't be just like, yeah, we'll just show up and do this, you know? So, that's so yeah. but like, and no, the people that actually show up to the shows, man, like, I think there's a, a sense of mutual gratitude there because, like, I mean, obviously they come out, they want to check out the band or whatever, but for us, like, we will stay there at the end of the show and shake hands, look people in the eye and say, hey, you know, my name is Jess, whatever, thanks for coming out there. Like, yeah, you know, we appreciate you on this. It's just, again, it goes back to that whole thing. It doesn't matter how much money you spend online. It's about being 
on the front lines and doing the legwork and creating word of mouth. That's the biggest tool to you. You got to use to your advantage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and especially in the genre of, of hard rock and rock and roll. I mean, that's, that goes a long way. I, you know, I can't say anything cause I don't live in the pop world or anything like that. But, uh, um, but when it comes to, you know, blue collar type of music, man, that's, uh, that's really yeah, what comes so, out and if anybody out there that's looking to, to, to be successful in today's market and they want to be in a successful band it's just you know do the legwork don't be a shitty musician and don't be a piece of shit it's pretty simple <laughs> <laughs> we used to have a, we used to have one of my good friends man he uh in an older cat in his town is a legend in syracuse and uh he's ran every venue in town and booked i mean that dude's got stories for days but he used to run this open mic at this club here in town and uh he's like um and the band would get up on stage and he's like, all right, I got, I got three rules. He goes, uh, uh, don't suck, uh, play within your allotted time and don't suck. Okay. And that's, that was his, <laughs> that was his three rules. So like when you're, when you're basically, when your time is done, stop, you know, play within your allotted time and don't suck it. One and three. You know, that's, that's an unspoken thing amongst touring musicians. Like I've seen on these, uh, day sheets that bands will post, and on one of them, I'm not going to disclose the name, obviously, but it <laughs> says, you know, headliner this time, uh, direct support this time, you know, this band at that time. And then it says opener. Ha 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 ha. It's like, dude, wow. Because there's a, a mutual lack of respect because they don't understand, you know, the, the problems that goes there. And like, you could sit there all day and try to coach somebody who doesn't know. And it's just like, it, it's always a time they'll go to the next fucking show and do the same exact shit. Or, you know, because that guy was addicted to that person that uh, intentionally want to go out of their way to be shitty, you know, as an opener. And it's like, that that's an unspoken thing. I think that there are definitely a gap that needs to be bridged, if you will. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's an opener is, you know, that's their opportunity. I mean, sometimes that opener, like they're opening, even if they're opening for sons of Texas, that might be the highlight of that band's career. And they're like, man, we got to open for sons of Texas. And you're like, yeah, we're just some, little working band, but like to 99% of all the bands that have ever existed, man, getting a gig like that means a lot. And it means a lot when the band respects, you know, the openers and, and everything else. And that also percolates down from some of the from promoters and stuff. Cause there's, I mean, you get these promoters now and they're like, oh, yeah, well you can play this show with this national band, but you got to sell 50 tickets. And you're like, wait a minute. It's like, interesting. That's your it's fucking interesting job. That you brought that up. <laughs> that's your fucking no, no, job. No, but it, it, it's interesting that you said that because, I probably have the most unpopular opinion in with regard to that exact topic. And it's, it's you know, it's a little controversial, well, but let me hear it. I'd I, love to. So let's, let's say, for example, uh, my band sons of Texas, let's say we at the beginning of our career, nobody's ever heard of us. This and this and that somebody comes up to us and says, Hey, uh, there's an opportunity or like, not even if we want to go, let's say, um, somebody, let's say, hell yeah. Just for the example, uh, for the sake of the argument, the band, hell yeah, let's say, you know, they're tearing it up. They're, you know, at the peak, tearing it up right now, audience, and they're on the charts. They're doing phenomenal, whatever, right? And we're like, hey, how do we get an opportunity to go open for hell yeah? Well, let's ask ourselves a few questions real quick. Why do you want to open for hell yeah? Aside from being a fan of why? Well, you're going to play to a massive audience. You're going to get to play, uh, you're gonna, you know, people are going to, you're going to hit people that you might not have hit you know, in terms of target audience. Uh, otherwise, if you hadn't played that show, you're going to, there's a lot of incentive for a not well-known band to want to play a show with a band that's nationally or worldwide established. 
And that's the thing is like, you show up and they tell you, Hey, you want to be on the show? Sell uh, 50 tickets. And it's like, well, why do I got to sell 50 tickets? Well, why am I going to give you a spot on a show where the band has done all the groundwork to build the audience that you want to play for for free? You know what I'm saying? And on top of that, you're, how do I say it? you got, you got an attitude about it, you know, instead of saying, Hey, here's some gratitude. Like, you know, the reason I I'm, I'm saying all this is because I went through that. I went through the whole thing. Why do I got to pay to play? Why do I got to, well, if you don't like it, do your own show. And I did my own show. That's yeah, yeah. what we've been doing in, in the hometown. And you know, once you do your own show, you realize, well, it's not as easy as just giving shit away for free. You know, the, the, the person throwing the show has to make money on top of what they spent to get the show there in the first place. And you know, nobody's in business to lose money. And it's no. like, you want to play in front of a big audience that you didn't work for you. Nobody knows who you are and you want to play for free and you want to get a great time slot too. It's like, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a dick, but no, there's no, no. a lot it's more a, to no, it. That's, that, a very, that's a very interesting perspective because there's, there's both sides of that argument. You know, it's like, you know, um, you know, to that, but it's like, cause part of you will be like, well, what's the, what's the promoter job if he just gets four bands to sell, you know, 50 tickets and he sells 200 tickets and gets to all that money without having to, you know, do what he's supposed to be doing as, as a promoter, which I see happen. I get, I get the re, the reasoning behind it and make sure that it covers all that stuff. But sometimes I also see promoters get lazy and use that as their way to be able to make sure that they're going to make their nut. So there's, 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 if it's done correctly and your, your, uh, your argument is fucking very well thought out, man. That's, I, I completely respect that. That's a great way to put it. You know, and, yeah, and again, and it didn't. I didn't. I didn't get this perspective until I started booking my own shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it, it, it's something that people don't realize. It's like, well, I mean, you, you, you can't. Nothing's going to be for free. Like you contribute zero to the show. Like nobody's going to come see your band. Nobody's paying to come see your band if nobody knows you. So you're playing to an audience that you had zero work for, and then somebody asking you to sell a few tickets to kind of earn your way onto the spot is is a little bit of a slap in the face. On top of that, it's like. If you want to play a show with a big national act, go sell the fucking tickets, <laughs> get on the fucking show, build your own audience, and then you can turn around and do it yourself. Or, or you get like, here's here's a funny <laughs> thing is like when you play the whiskey, you know, and, and those bands that didn't sell enough tickets have to play after the headliner. <laughs> you ever been at the whiskey Man, go-go, and they call them the, dead, they call them the deadliners. <laughs> We're like, what the you fuck? Know, shitty, what? Man. I've, I've, I've had, I've, I've seen that happen before. And I, you know what? It is what it is. It's business. It's shitty. Yeah. But we're again, like, we're like, how do, how did this band is? Why is this band playing after us? You know, like, why is this band playing after the headliner? Like, well, they, they didn't sell enough tickets, but they sold a few. So they're going to put them on afterwards. I'm like, everyone's leaving. I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's what happens, you know, but at least they're getting, to play, yeah. at least they're getting to play the whiskey. I'm like, well, it's, you know, that's, that's true. So let me, let me ask and you this. Like out of all, it, all the, all the venues that you played, was there one venue, this, this is a two-part question, one venue when you played it, you're like, holy shit, dude, I'm playing this venue, standing on the stage, and you're like, man, history has happened on this stage, and like, holy shit, how did I get on this stage? I'm here. So that's the first part of the question. Like, what, do you have a venue, or maybe two venues, they are like, man, this is, this is cool. I got to play this venue. Man, you know, that's, my memory's terrible. <laughs> Uh, but well, give, give me the city. I'll, I'll, I'll remember. I'll remember. I always remember these places. So, um, I mean, in our hometown, we played the, uh, the pain arena whenever, um, who was it? 
it was a big, it was a big package tour. Orgy was on it. Tantric, um, bunch of bands, bunch of bands were on it. And it was part of the tour that we did, I think as a last stop or something. I, I forget exactly the circumstances, but we played to our hometown finally to like, I don't know, 4,000 people or something, maybe more than that. Uh, but that was cool. We played our hometown of that, um, man. But in terms of like legendary venues to where it was like, shit, I finally got to play this place. I, man, I can't think of anything, maybe because we didn't do anything that was, or again, maybe I don't remember, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I don't think we did venues of that scale to be able to say that, Oh, we played this legendary venue. The venues that do come to mind where we had heard about and that have a lot of history and, you know, uh, the top of my head is a machine shop. Oh, machine oh yeah. It's, it's so funny. I was just talking to everybody up there because I just made a post the other day because I just got the book, the pictorial history of the machine shop. And we played in the very, very early days of the machine shop. We played like one of the very first national shows that was there. We were on tour with Saliva and Breaking Benjamin. And Saliva was like yeah. breaking at that time. That was their second record. And, you know, um, always was all over the radio. And Breaking Benjamin was just getting going. And it was the three, you know, it was the three of us on that tour, and we we rolled into that venue, and that was like the first real big show that they had done, and we immediately hit it off. Like I said in the post, like I didn't was like, all right, this just looks like a regular rock club. There's not even a fucking dressing room at that time. There wasn't even a dressing <laughs> dressing room, um, but we we hit it off and flint we could go back and i think we played the machine shop like 15 times man over the years and we became yeah, super you know what i think it is man it's the decency the, yeah. the the people there are actually decent human beings and they give a fuck about everything and they have gratitude yeah for and the, the fact that they get to do the shit that they do and the majority of the people that are working there <laughs> now have been working there for 20 fucking years the security you know the, the first time we went there the first time we went there again, fucking nobody band or whatever. We we're fortunate to be there opening up for, I don't even remember who it was. I think it might've been trapped or something. And we show up and you know, the, the, the hands are helping us to unload shit. And there's this one guy tall, maybe six, two, six, four or something, big beard, uh, got a cigar in his mouth. And he's like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? My name is Kevin. This it's Kevin. It's the and, owner. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't know he was the owner, but he was like, yeah, if you guys need anything, come talk to me, you know, we'll take care of you, this and this and that. And like, he's helping unload shit. And yeah. I'm like, and I didn't find out till later in the show. They're like, oh yeah, it's the owner, Kevin. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> to me, that says everything. It's like yeah. people, they, they actually give a fuck about what they do. They, they appreciate what they have. And I think that's what keeps bands coming back, man. They actually yeah. take care of the musicians that go through and you have big acts that will you know, not play the fucking big yeah. venue, whatever it is in the adjacent city or whatever, they'll come and do like four nights. At yes, the, at the exactly. Shop. I've said that all the time. I said that in my post, like, you know, a band like, uh, you know, before Shinedown really got their arenas right before they got there, they would just keep going back and just play three nights at, you know, the machine shop. And it says a lot about Kevin, Kevin and the whole staff. And I remember Kevin before he had the, when we first went there, he just, he didn't have a beard. He had like, you know, more of a greaser style haircut back in the day and stuff like that. But Kevin yeah. be like, uh, you know, I know you guys don't have much money. Why don't you stay at my house? I mean, we used to, Kevin used to open up his doors to his house, which ended up turning into fucking mayhem and may complete mayhem, you know, but we, you know, we would stay at his house, you know, because he did get us a hotel room once. And I think we all ended up back at the hotel room, even the fans. And we end up trashing the hotel room. And I think the motel six is like, yeah, we can't, we can't have these fucking guys back anymore. So Kevin's like, I kind of feel 
responsible for that. So you guys can stay at my house. But like anytime we were on tour and we're just like, fuck, we needed a little date like that. We would call Kevin and be like, dude, come, you know, can we roll through? He's like, yeah, man, let's do a Lodo show. Take the door, you know, keep all your merch yeah. and, you know, I'll feed you all these tacos. There's that taco. He would come in with like seven bags of, you know, you know, bags of tacos for everybody and just Dude, like, big John's next door. Yeah, man. man that's it. Exactly. Big John's next door. That shit's incredible. Exactly. So it's like, and the fans there are just like, <laughs> I mean, that was the one market. I mean, we could go back. I have, I have videotapes that I've transferred down on the, the DVDs and everything else from shows there. And like, we could go there and legit headline that fucking, that venue. And, oh, absolutely. And it was just like, man, that's so cool. But I'm so glad you brought that up because everybody does that. And like when I wear my machine shop shirt and I'll be working and, and be at a show here in Syracuse or something like that. And one of the bands would be like, I was, I was just at a show. It was default and hinder. It was before hinder had gotten big. And I was just hanging out at the club. And one of the guys from default's crew, like, Holy, you got a fucking machine shop shirt on? I'm like, yeah, who are you? Like, how to, it's like this common, like, if you see a machine shop shirt, man, it's like, you're like, how do you know that? And then all of a sudden it's this immediate friendship. Because <laughs> you like, well, this is so-and-so. Yeah. They're like, you want to come on the bus and hang out? We're like, yeah, sure. You know, and then I'm sitting on the bus drinking with the guys all night, you know, and just talking about the machine shop. But yeah, that's, that's definitely one of those venues. And, and it's crazy because I, I was there in the beginning of that club and to think that it's been there for 20 years and it's a legendary club now, you know, and I tell them it is, it absolutely is. And you know, what's funny. Like whenever, whenever we traveled through, you know, we're touring or whatever, now we'd be wearing machine shop gear or whatever. It was a while where like every show I played was a machine shop button up. It smelled (laughs) like absolute dog shit, but like, you know, every once in a while we'll get fans or friends or people who were fans and become, you know, like family, like we hang out with them, whatever. They're like, man, can you get me some merch from the machine shop? And it's like, it, dude, it, because it's a fucking legendary venue yeah, and man. it, you know, it boils back down to the whole there. It's a family there. You know, they, yep. they might not be blood related, but they treat you that way too. It's like, we don't know who the fuck you are, but you're here. So you're family. Yeah. That's exactly what I said in my post. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Kevin reached out and I'm like, dude, you know, come on my podcast. Let's talk about your fucking club. He's like, I know, I know. And you know, I'm busy. Cause you, you'll see a video of the machine shop and Kevin's literally on the roof, like, you know, changing a light bulb, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, man. That, that, it's, that, like- it's a, it's a, that's a blue collar. That's, that's what that, that part of the country is, you know, like, we always did well because that's just a working class, you know, area, you know, I mean, we played Detroit, but we, and even Detroit's only, you know, less than an hour away, but there was just like, there was such a difference in playing the clubs in Detroit as opposed to playing what it was like playing in Flint or even like Lansing or, you know, Grand Rapids or anywhere else in Michigan. It was like Flint is just, just, and Flint shouldn't have any business having a good rock club considering how fucked up the city is, you know, in general, you know, but it does, you know, so uh, and I mean, I got some friends that I've made out of there with some of the local bands that I've, I've stayed friends with for all these years, man. So that says a lot, man. I'm glad you brought that up, but definitely. Yeah, man. I mean, Flynn, I mean, it's one time on the, on a tour where like, if it shows up and I see machine shop, Flint, Michigan, I'm like fired up yeah. specifically about that date. Cause you know, it's going to be a good time yeah. every fucking time. Every time I, there, there wasn't a time that I didn't have a good time there. I was the first time we played there with saliva. I was uh, enormously hung over. So like the <laughs> night, the night before, I think we had played uh, like <sighs> wherever Notre Dame College is. I think that's North Bend, Indiana. We played there, 
And I ended up on Saliva's bus. Josie, I mean, I I made friends with those guys immediately. And and Josie, the original singer, was like, you're hanging on the bus with me tonight. You know, come on. You know, we got on the bus. And him and I drank tequila. I remember pulling into the machine shop and parking. And him and I drank like two bottles of tequila, man. And 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 I was like, I I got to crash. You know, my band isn't here. Jo- <laughs> Josie's like, you just had my bunk. And I crawled into his bunk and I slept. I remember waking up. The next day, and I'm like walking in the club. I'm like, all right, it's going to be cool. And all my guys in the band are like, oh, you look like dog shit. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, fucking, I'm hungover. I'm very hungover. And I remember walking out on stage because we were the opening band. We we got on that tour like the last minute. So they're like, okay, 8, 8 p.m. doors, 8.05, Brandon. <laughs> you know, like you got and We had like a 15-minute set. It was like a 15, 20-minute set. So we had, we had to go up there and just punch faces but luckily that tour like at, the club was packed by every time even five minutes after the doors were open so i remember walking out on stage and i just poured some water over my head just kind of like all right man i gotta get over this hangover and i grabbed the microphone and it shocked me and it was like someone punched me in the face <laughs> that was my very that was my very Shit. first memory of the fucking machine shop and i, Wake like, up call. And I went blah, 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 blah. i kind of did one of those bugs bunny things and then crushed it and yeah. then i was like what is this venue and then i fell in love you know and then the next thing i know it's drinking again at the bar so it's like all right here we go <laughs> yeah and the cool shit too is that uh, you got a fucking photographer that knows his fucking yeah. shit and does great camera work. Like yeah, exactly. the, the photos that get posted up are like probably a, a lot better than a lot of the, you know, photographers that are, you know, they yeah. fancy themselves concert photographers or what have you. But Minty is incredible yeah. at what he does. I was so glad when he, he announced that book and he put it up on his personal Facebook page and I messaged him like, <laughs> I got to get this and I got it. And then he just hit me up. He's like, man, your post got me some sales. So I'm sending, cause there was a book he did prior, but it wasn't as elaborate as this one. So it's, I think the other one's arriving today, but I sat down the other day and my daughter was here. And the cool thing about the, the book is not only the, the pictures in there, but like it has all the flyers from all the shows, you know? Yeah. And, awesome, and, and there was a ton of brand new sim ones in there. And I made the cut in this book. I'm like, Holy shit, there's a picture of me in there. And like my daughter and I were looking at it. And I was, you know, my daughter's eight now. So it's like, I still don't think she's wrapped her brain around what daddy really does and what, where he's been, you know, like, but like she started seeing that and like, and she's like, well, who's this? And we just had these long discussions about like, you know, these, these pictures and who these people are. And I'm like, yeah, this is a show that we played and this is our friends. And, but it was like, it was so, I got emotional, like looking at the book because it was just like so many, so many friggin' amazing memories. And then, you know, and then these people from Flint, like Jeff shared it on his page and Kevin did. And all these fans that were fans of Brand New Sin all of a sudden migrated over to my personal page. And we're like, holy shit, how the hell are you? And when are you coming back? You know, is the, is the, will the band ever come back here? You know, and I told the guys in the band, I'm like, we're doing our 20th anniversary show next year. And, you know, we yeah. don't have any delusions of grandeur. Like, we're going to play a show and like, that's probably it. Everybody else has normal jobs and, kids and mortgages and you know we're all you know we're all pushing almost 50 years old so like none of us are like thinking we're gonna go out on the road and doing any of that stuff but like if an offer came in for us to go back to the machine shop that would be like i would call the guys be like hey you want to go to machine shop like yeah they wouldn't even ask how much we're getting paid they'd be like let's just fucking go (laughs) you know let's let's go That, that would be the only venue that that anyone they would call and be like yeah let's go you know so 
you know, who happens to know. And, and I would told Kevin, I'd just come back my piano and just freaking play a Lodo show and just have fun again, you know? So yeah, Shit, yeah it's so cool. But yeah, man, you got to check out that book. I, I, I got to go back. Cause I wonder if you guys were, in there, you know, at least one of the flyers and shit like that. But I mean, he had we were on the first one. I think they had a, they had a photo of Mark in, in the first version of that book. And I've been wanting to see this one, but I haven't gotten around to getting it. I'm it's definitely so going to find cool. it though. Like that's that, history, man. That's, that's great yeah, shit. That hallway that he takes all the photos in, like even that hallway wasn't what it is now. You know, there wasn't even a bat. You know how there's that little bathroom right there? That bathroom didn't. Yeah, yeah. That bathroom didn't even exist in the beginning. <laughs> that wasn't there. No shit. Yeah, Every there, time I've been there, it's been there. <laughs> no, it wasn't there. There wasn't this thing about the hallway. There wasn't anything. It was just a hallway in Kevin's office. And Kevin's like, "Hey, if you want to sit in my office, you can sit in here." That was. They didn't have the trailers out back for a dressing. There was literally no dressing for like four years. I don't think it was till like 2004 that they finally got those the construction uh, trailers out back that have like a proper dressing room. But no one gave a fuck. You know, because like you just went into the club and you went up where the merch was and there was couches up there and you just kind of hung out in the club. The club was your dressing room for the day and no one cared, you know, nobody gives a shit. It was a fucking good time. (laughs) And on that hallway, man, whenever we showed up, you know, we uh, we we'd heard about the place before or whatever. And we'd seen the photos and and that kind of thing. And uh, they described it to us. They're like, all right, every band that comes through here gets a hallway photo of this and that. So we lined up, we took a photo and. You know, the next time we went through there, I sat and watched that entire like loop of hallway photos that they have on the screens. And I was like, are we on this shit? Are we on this shit? Man, I sat on that thing for like, I don't know, five minutes, but it felt like an eternity. And I was like, fuck, there we are. Like stoked, like just fired up that we were on the loop. And, you know, we've got, I don't know how many photos now from the hallway, but uh, man, that hallway photo is such a legendary thing from the machine shop. Dude, like, you, I mean, you, you look at Blabbermouth or you look at like uh, other people's pages, like everyone uses that photo, you know, like, Hey, you know, band, you know, whatever fucking name a band, like, you know, seven dust Testament, you know, like just name a band. And the, the photo that they're using is the fucking hallway shot at the machine. Shop. It. <laughs> I remember one time we did a, a hallway photo and, you know, we posted it or whatever, and our wives back home were all hanging out, I guess, and they recreated that hallway photo with all of them. Like, my <laughs> wife was wearing the bandana, and I don't know what. I guess they were all tipsy. We were all hanging out, uh, drinking or whatever, and they recreated that photo, and that I think their photo, their recreation got more likes than the one we posted at the machine shop. It's just fucking hilarious. It was a side by side, and people were fucking. Oh, that's hilar- the, the one of the things that I always wanted to do. I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to have. Um, they would put. I don't remember what they called the fucking night, and I always wanted. I was like, man, I'm going to drive up here for the night. But they would do like kind of the scene in the Blues Brothers where they show up and they had they played behind the chicken wire that you know the country and western bar, and they would <laughs> literally put the the chicken wire up in front, they would have a country band play. They would put a fucking mechanical bowl out in the middle of the floor and all night. You no were, shit. You were allowed to like take your empty beer. Uh, not, they didn't give glasses or bottles that night, but your, your, your cups and you could chuck it at the fucking band all night long. I can't remember that what like a scene at a roadhouse. Yeah. That, that's basically the, what they would do. They're like the club. We take us two days to fucking clean the club after we do this, but we do it. Once a, <laughs> once a year, I can't remember what it's called. I'm gonna have to ask Kevin or Minty like what that awesome. what that night was. But man, <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? Jeez, yeah. that's incredible. Oh, no, they do a lot of fun shit, man. If you follow them on socials, uh, Johanna has a lot of funny skits that she posts. Too. Yeah, 
uh, Kevin's wife. And like the, the, everybody gets involved. The entire staff gets involved. Kevin gets involved. Man, it's just good fun and it's great. And it just shows you the, the, the family vibe that they all have there because it's, it's, it is a family. It is, but yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I could definitely say that Chloe, but going back to the original question, I think when I put, we played the Fillmore in San Francisco with black label society. And I remember standing, nice. I remember standing on that stage and like that, everyone played that stage. The fucking stones played that stage in the sixties. You know, it was like, I remember standing on that stage and that was the first time where I stood somewhere that, and we played CBGBs right before it closed. No shit. Yeah. Well, like one of our very first, our very first New York city show was at CBGBs. It's this big, like Monday night thing. It was on our way up. We were playing new England metal fest and we played CBGBs. So we got a chance to play CBs before it like became nothing, you know? So those, oh, are, you know what? Uh, well, the whiskey. Yeah, the whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, f- I, I did the whiskey, and that that was that was one place where we showed up. We're like, man, we're fucking fine at playing this or whatever. And it, again, my memory is fucking terrible because I mean, I drank a lot on the road and <laughs> did a lot of stupid shit I wasn't supposed to do. But uh, it was man, like that was one of them. And you know, being able to walk down the strip, see the Viper Room, the Roxy, you know, the Rainbow Room. Rainbow. We actually hung out in the fucking Rainbow Room, and uh, you know, it was it was cool. You know what I'm saying? You could tell that there was a lot of history there. And, Man, but uh, to me, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a visit California kind of guy, not live in California kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, that's that's like me in Florida. The same with Florida. I'm, like, <laughs> hey, I'm a visit Florida kind of guy, but like after two days, like all right, cool, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, give me back, give me back to home. Yeah, give me home. But yeah, my very first podcast because this is episode 46. But my very first podcast on here, I had one of our roadies come out and because. That was my first podcast, and it was all about a night at the Rainbow. We had nothing to do with the show that we played across town because we had played with uh, we were with Typo Negative, and we played. I can't. Remember, I, th- I want to say maybe it was the Avalon. It was the there's a there's a small theater that's over near the Capitol Records building. I, I think it's the Avalon. But afterwards, we ended up at the Rainbow. And we'd always been at the rainbow. Like we were at the rainbow so much. The door guy remembered us. And I was like, holy shit, we must be here a lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and obviously Lemmy was always there and we did tours with Lemmy. So we always go to hang out with Lem. And, but that night, that night was like, <laughs> I mean, I'll say it flat out because I said it already on the podcast. We leave the venue. I was already drunk. Uh, my bass player stuffed a bunch of mushrooms in my mouth uh, you know, we ended up at the club. I'm giving you a very short version of it. Ended up over at the yeah. Rainbow. I was talking to Lem, uh, hanging out with our A&R guy from Century Media. Everybody was hanging out. And it was on April 20th. So Be Real was there with these gigantic joints that were going around the entire outdoor Jeez patio. Christ. You know, everybody who's anybody was there that night. Danzig was there that night. Tom Morello was that night. It was one of those nights of the rainbow. Damn. I'm fucking out of my mind, fucked up. And then on top of that, then I start dr- I'm drinking more there. And then I'm upstairs in the bathroom doing cocaine with fucking a bunch of other people, including <laughs> including it, including Tommy Vex before he got fucking sober. That was my first time oh, I ever met man. Tommy. So Tommy and I are in a fucking bathroom stall to fucking rainbow and then in the process of that like i thought i was peeing like i thought i took my dick out and i thought i was pissing but i was actually pissing my pants and then i pissed my (laughs) pants and then the rest of the night i'm walking around the rainbow just out of my mind with piss pants you know 
incredible. That's rock and roll. Baby. <laughs> That's his rock and roll. And I'm like, dude, that was that was the rainbow. Like that was my ultimate rainbow. But like we had all so many things. But I mean, the rainbow, <laughs> the fucking rainbow. Jeez. But the, the, the did you ever eat? Did you, did you ever eat at the rainbow? I. Don't you remember? Don't recall. Dude, I, I've been somewhere. there like four times. I don't think I ever ate. I drank there, but I didn't. The best, the best food, the best food on the strip, man. They got the really best food. Like, yeah, man, that's no joke. Like that food there is legit. It is legit. No, yeah. Like I, I drank there. I don't think I ate there. Man. I, I think I would have <laughs> no, remembered. No. Yeah. The first time we ever walked into the place, we walked in and my one guitar player is a big dude, you know? Uh, and it, he was bigger then. He's he's a little bit slimmer now, but he walked in. And we're just walking in like, yeah, we're fucking in the rainbow. And he fucking knocks this guy literally almost on the ground. We're like, oh, shit, man, we're sorry. And we pick him up. It was fucking Ron Jeremy. <laughs> we're like, dude, we're so sorry. Can we get our photo with you? <laughs> Jeez, man. But the, the cool, I mean, you never know who you're going to run into when you walk into that no, place. No, and that's, the, cool, the, the coolest place is that you're all on the level there. Like, everybody's on the level. Like, no one is, like, unapproachable there. No one is, like, being there to be, you know, better than anybody else. It's like this fucking dive bar that ha- exists, exists in Hollywood where you never know who the fuck is going to be there. You turn around, you're like, holy shit, that's so-and-so. They're like, yeah. And that's the appeal there. I think, like, people understand that when you walk into the Rainbow Room, you're going to get people who want to come say hi, yep. want to take a photo or whatever, yep. and they're okay with it. It's like, you walk into the Rainbow you got to know that before you even walk in there. And I think that's, that's, that's badass about that place. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was always cool because you knew if Lemmy wasn't on tour, that was where Lemmy was. You know, Lemmy was sitting down at the end of the bar playing touchscreen, you know, drinking, his, <laughs> drinking his Jack and Cokes and, yeah. and, and go down and hang out with him. And Lemmy and I always had great conversations because I, I have a bachelor's degree in history and, you know, Lem oh, was a huge, wow. was huge into, you know, war history uh, World War II history, German history, all this stuff. Yeah. So him and I wouldn't even talk about music. We would just, we'd talk about history. We'd talk about, you know, totally great shit. But like, and that dude, he would just sit there. And But every once in a while, he'd say hi. And if he was totally into his game or he didn't want to chat, he'd say his moment and take a picture. And then he'd go right back to playing his, his game. Because, I mean, he literally lived. If you walked across the street, walked down this little step way, that was where Lemmy's apartment was. He literally lived like two seconds away from the rainbow. No shit. That's yeah. why he was always there. Yeah, man. He he lived right there. Yeah, that's why I always did. Because he just walk over and that's what he did. Did you know that he never drank water? He never drank anything but Jack and Coke. That's all he ever drank. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I told this story to someone the other day. Like I had a friend of mine who lived in Long Island. She was married to the first uh, general manager of the first record label we were on. And she would do acupuncture. And she came up to the Webster Theater in Hartford. And she was like giving me acupuncture on the road. And, and Lemmy walked into the dressing room and I could see him standing over me. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like we're doing, Jeez. we're doing, I'm doing acupuncture. So she does this little thing where she like takes your pulse and she can see what kind of how she's going to have to treat you and all that shit. And she was, I'm like, do that to Lemmy, do that to Lemmy. He's like, I'm not getting acupuncture. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, just do it. So he did it. And then she looks at him. She goes, um, when's the last time you had a glass of water? He's like, there's ice in this, in my Jack and Coke. She's like, no, when's the last time you drink, just drink a glass of water. He's like. I don't know, early eighties. We're like, what? <laughs> like, I'm, are you fucking serious? He's like, yeah, man. He goes, I didn't, I didn't, he wouldn't, he just drank Jack and Cokes all day. That's all he would drink. He wouldn't even drink Gatorade or anything. He just drank Jack. And I mean, in his defense, Jack and Coke is pretty damn delicious. It is, but that's all. Could you imagine? It's that's the only that's liquid. Incredible. That's the only liquid that you take in. 
I mean, that's that's rock and roll, baby. That's Lemmy. Like, none of us could have done that and lived to, what, he was like 71 years old, 70 years old, and then he died? Like, yeah, How dude. the fuck did he make it that way? Those, those people from England, those English, they live forever, dude. There's yeah, some- wasn't it something like where, where uh, even at the end, where they were like, all right, man, like, you got to chill out or whatever. Like, he didn't even stop drinking. Nope. He just switched to something clear liquids, right? Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, vodka. They, they, yeah, they told, him, they told him that he couldn't have this and then he would just switch it or he would, you know. Yeah, he was doing it. Like, he knew he was going out, but he was still getting up on stage. I mean, they didn't really let, he didn't really let anybody know how bad it was. And he was still getting up and fucking ripping shows up. You know, that's all he ever did, man. I mean, I was honored. honored. Legend, man. Yeah, the fucking legend. But, man, I think I think that's a good way to wrap it up, man. You know, we just, like I said, <laughs> you know, like it's rock and roll. I mean, we could sit here and, and, and yap all day, but I'm, you know, at some point we'll have you back and we'll talk some other stuff as, as things unfold, right? As things. as the Yeah, future. for sure. I'm around, dude. Call me whenever. Yeah, man. And, uh, and keep me abreast in, as to what's going on in, in life in general, man. So, uh and, and if I don't speak with you, man, have a great holiday with your family and, and the kiddos and everything like that. Enjoy it, man. Likewise, brother. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. Guys. That's my buddy, Jess, man. I mean, we, we didn't really, here's the thing. When we get somebody on the podcast, you never know like what the, where it's going to go. I don't have these set questions and I don't want to necessarily talk exactly about their band and like, okay, let's, you know, what was this? I mean, we've all heard those stories. I want to hear the stories of like what, what we, I don't know. I just like seeing where the conversations go, but it's, it's really good. I mean, you see the vibe that happens between musicians. I mean, I've never met Jess in person, never even seen this band play fan of the band, but we became friends but we have this very common bond of like going through what we've been through and that's what i really hope that this podcast uh, portrays because i know a lot of you have a hard time maybe connecting with what we what we talk about on here because we don't it we've lived a life that most people haven't you know not to say that you know we we lived you know this cushy life or whatnot i just we just lived in a world where most people don't ever get the experience so i hope that these podcasts give you a little glimpse inside of what the fuck goes on and and the enthusiasm and the the stories and like this is why we do this you know so as always man if you guys are enjoying this share this uh let me know give me some feedback and on what you think of these podcasts give me ideas of people to reach out to you know i'm usually just reaching out to people within my network and stuff like that but let me know if you you would like to hear somebody if you got a connection with somebody like hey i think this would be really cool to be on a podcast i don't even care if they I don't care if they sold one record or a thousand records. If they're an interesting person, I want to have them on here. So give me your feedback. Again, thank you, Jess, for coming out here. Uh, check out all the socials that I've put in the social media and, uh, you know, all the, in the social media posts for this and, uh, you know, and keep, keep abreast of what Jess is doing. Again, a huge shout out to EJA Moving, uh, Advantage Hardwood Floors and Jason Allen and the Royal Auto Group for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in po- sponsoring this or anything else that I do on social medias, let me know. And until the next time, be well, my friends, be well.